0: Hey, guys. My name is Caleb Collins. As, uh, as Dad mentioned, my wife, Elise, and I have been at CIV for about six and a half years now. Um, we both serve with the students in the junior high ministry, and that's been going great. Love you guys. You're awesome. And the parents that have allowed us to invest in your kids. Now, we ourselves have five kids. Here's a picture of them now. I'm sure most of them are at home right now, very quietly sitting and very calmly watching this this service. So thank you, kids, for that already. Love you guys too. Um, in 2014, we arrived to Azusa, California from Fort Worth, Texas, um, with one little three-month-old baby. So we've had, you know, we've had an increase, about 133% increase of children over the years, and uh, it's been great. Uh, but the reason I came out here in the first place was to go to graduate school at APU. I got a full tuition scholarship, which I didn't think could happen, and it did. Woohoo. Um, but the really reason that I came, which some of you know this now, and others of you, I'll tell you now, um, was just chasing a dream. Uh, I loved sports growing up, but I wasn't like that good. It's pretty average, and I was hoping, um, I could go walk on at the track team at APU and make some track dreams happen. I still had some eligibility left for my undergrad, and, And I had a lot of just thoughts in my head going. Um, So when I got here in 2014, I was, and I probably still am, uh, quite a mixed bag. And what I found at, at CIV was a lot of support and love and grace, regardless of where I was with my faulty thinking. And so I just want to say, if you are out there and you've been watching CIV online, you've never really checked us out, obviously during the COVID season, We haven't had that many in-persons. I just want to say, hey, it's worth it to stick around. And I just want to say thank you to the leadership and the community here uh, for loving and supporting uh, me and my family. Over the past six and a half years, you don't know how big of a deal that has been in our lives. But back to my flashback. Um, In 2014, I was kind of a mess. Um, And I had all these ideals about how when I got to California – this was going to happen, and then that was going to happen, and my dreams would, you know, take off. CIV has taught me um, that that is what we call a magic key. This one thing leads to the next thing, and it'll just be awesome and no problems. Uh, I'm a math teacher, so in math, that means it's a positive slope, right? We're just increasing linear fashion. Um, what I found is you could probably imagine is when we got here, it just wasn't like that. Uh, our savings were gone, like ASAP. Absolutely gone. We stayed in a hotel for a week, paid a security deposit on a new place, and then paid for a few things for the new place, and then, yep, it's gone. Uh, my wife and I also thought we were going to put my son in childcare, and then we were going to have her work full-time. I would go to school full-time, compete on the track team, all this stuff, And and we couldn't find full-time work. Between the two of us, I don't even think we added up our part-time jobs to one full-time job. Uh, The track door, that closed real quick, and um, about 86% of our income was going towards rent. That number is just slightly too high, as you can imagine. Before coming to California, I I really thought God was leading in all these different ways, and my my dreams were going to come true. I, I did listen to a lot of promptings, didn't seek a lot of wise counsel. In my time at that point, that was my discernment process thought for sure god was leading this way and when i got to california the door closed quick on a lot of things and the breadcrumbs surprise surprise they disappeared no more breadcrumbs um so i was filled with quite a bit of doubt confusion very limited resources as i've already said i was worried about the future and the future being like literally the next day um there was a lot of silence wasn't really hearing from god felt alone we had packed up and left both sides of our family. Um, I felt spiritually dry and like I couldn't hear from God and know it was really him. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever gotten into a season of life where things are kind of spinning like that? It's not a lot of fruit. There's doubt and confusion and worry. Yeah. I think many of us have. Recently, too. So more than likely this year, you have been squeezed in one way or the other. Be that in the economy, um, physically with health, socially. How do we interact with these people? Where do they stand or where do I stand? Politically, do I submit to the leader? Do I rebel? Do I do some kind of combination? Yeah, we've all been experiencing Quite a bit of pressure. Um, Here's a picture of my oldest son working hard to clean the Corona Fire Department truck. Him and two other fire department guys are there. Um, This was a car wash. Some of you actually went to it to raise money so that the school that I work at could open. We found out a week and a half, two weeks before my contract was to begin, that that contract might not have anything to support it. So we've all been affected. I still got to keep my job, praise God, because we did raise enough money. But many listening to this probably didn't. Or you know people who didn't. I have an alarm set on my phone to pray for people who are looking for jobs. Luckily, a lot of that has now been praising God because they got new jobs and I pray for them to adjust. But it's undeniable that we've gone through some crazy times. From my perspective, which is what I'll be talking about today, we've gone through what I would call a wilderness-type experience. This is what I was experiencing in 2014 to 17, really, um, and what I think our culture, our people, have been experiencing now. A wilderness experience is marked by a season of barrenness that's distinctly uh, involving isolation, frustration, having more questions than answers, increased stress levels, And limited fruitfulness. In the Bible, the wilderness is mentioned hundreds of times, actually. And through an investigation into key characters' lives, whether it's Moses, Jacob, the nation of Israel, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ himself, um, the wilderness is a common theme all throughout Scripture. And it's not just a negative, dismal experience that you want to leave right away. Maybe you do want to leave it, but uh, it's worth it. Because the wilderness is a birthplace for God's work. But as a father of five, I can tell you, by observation alone, um, all births have accompanying birth pains. And this past past September, we were late to the hospital, no epidural. Boy, did I see birth pains like I've never saw before. Honey, you're awesome. Love you. Um, And as God is going to use the wilderness in our lives to bring about this new thing, there will be that pain. So let us turn our attention to David, a popular character, Christian or not, most people know about this guy. The Old Testament talks about his life in the book of 1 Samuel. Tells the story of the shepherd boy who gets to turn king. The shepherd who who beats the giant, right? Today we're going to talk a little bit about how he got there. In chapter 10, David's predecessor as king, King Saul, is anointed to be the first king of Israel. The people wanted to be like every other nation. They were demanding a leader, a physical leader. God said, I'm your leader, but they said, no, we need a person. Someone we can point to, cling to. God gave them what they asked for, but by chapter 15, he's got to be removed. King Saul has deliberately disobeyed God a handful of times. And now it is time for him um, to be dethroned. So God God gets Samuel's attention and says, Samuel, he's the prophet and judge of Israel at the time, go to Bethlehem. I have someone who is better. First Samuel 15, 28 says, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you. This is Samuel talking to Saul. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And God is directing Samuel to go to Bethlehem and find the king that he says here in 1 Samuel 16.1. He says, I have provided for myself a king among Jesse's sons. This is important because the first king was the people's king. And the second king is the king that God chooses for himself. But who was he? And what exactly makes him better than Saul? To answer this question, we need to go to this quasi-dinner-party-fashion-show combo. I'll explain in a minute. So come with me. Um, Samuel, probably the most highly feared and respected human in Israel at the time, goes to Bethlehem and invites Jesse and his sons to offer a peace offering to God together. And after the sacrifice, before they sit to eat, they get down to business. And in this fashion show, show show-and-tell, kind of like procession, each son goes in birth order And then they walk before Samuel and Samuel listens for God to see, will God choose this person as the next king? Remember, Samuel has been told, go to Bethlehem, find Jesse, find his sons. And there's somebody that's better than Saul there. Somebody that I've chosen. So Samuel, he's looking. He sees the firstborn. And he is impressed. Outwardly, this guy looks like Saul or better. A strong, big king. But God interrupts Samuel's train of thought and he says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So this gives us a clue as to what makes the new king better than Saul. It's something to do with his heart and what God can see when he looks at his heart. Which son will it be? One by one, God says no literally to all the sons that walked before. And Samuel is probably a little confused. I know God. When God says something, it's going to happen. God told me to come here. I just checked every single son and God said no to all of them. Something's up. So he does what we would do. Hey, Jesse. Is that all of them? Do you have any more sons? Jesse's response is really quite revealing. As he says, there's yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Here's a picture of the Judean hillside where David would have been shepherding his flocks. Notice it's not this lush green fields, rocky, hilly, brown and yellow. This is where the future king is. And back to what Jesse says about his youngest son. Or what he doesn't say. Jesse doesn't even mention David by name. But he refers to him by his low status in comparison to his older brothers. He's the youngest. As well as he refers to him by his duty. Well, he's, he's a shepherd. Not a task of high-ranking people. Essentially, Jesse is saying... Yes, there's one more, but you don't want that runt. Besides, he's too busy doing chores. To everyone's surprise, however, once David walks in, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, That is he. That's the chosen one. It reminds me of this scene at the end of the Disney classic, Cinderella. All you princesses out there, here you go. Pay attention. And I want you to think... Uh, think. I want you to listen for what the stepmother and stepsisters say about Cinderella. Action. You are the only ladies of the household, I hope, uh, I presume. There's no one else, Your Grace. Quite so. Good day. Good day. Your Grace! Your Grace! Please, wait! May I try it on? Oh, pay no attention to her. It's only Cinderella. Ah, oh, scullery. From the kitchen. It's ridiculous. impossible. <laughs> She's out of her mind. <laughs> yes, just an imaginative child. Madam, my orders were every maiden. And my child... Oh, no, no. Oh, no. Oh, this is terrible. The king, what will he say? What will he do? But perhaps if it would help... No, oh, no, nothing can help now. Nothing. But you see, I have the other slipper. <laughs> Oh, man, did you hear that? Wow, that's awful. This is what they said. Pay no attention to her. It's only Cinderella from the kitchen. Ridiculous. Imposter. She's out of her mind. She's just an imaginative child. Admittedly, with less theatrics, David's situation is similar to Cinderella's, or since he's real and she's not, Cinderella's is similar to David. Are they both the lowliest? and most unlikely to be chosen in their environment. Uh, Neither are invited to their respective dinner parties, but both become anointed royalty. So this is the one whom God had provided for himself, the new king whose heart was better than Saul's. But the question still remains, how? How did this young shepherd boy get this way? Why him and not his seven older brothers. How was David's heart different from theirs? To answer this question, we need to recall where David was just before getting rushed to the dinner party. Remember that picture I just showed you? David was tending the sheep in the wilderness, the Judean hillside. David's anointing came as he faithfully carried out his responsibilities amidst this wilderness experience. The servants go to get him, while he's just faithfully doing what's before him. This is a key thing that we should remember as we experience wilderness-type things in our own life. We cannot let go of the basics. There have been many nights where I just want to read the news and kind of fume over the latest article about this and that, you name it, and it could probably get under my skin. And I'd rather dive head-on into those things than just do the basic responsibilities. Because in reality, what's coming my way, what the tidal wave is, is coming. Is more like I need to make sure I lesson plan for tomorrow. I need to do the dishes. And I have a floor that desperately needs to get swept to prepare for a better tomorrow. That's actually, first and foremost, like how I can affect tomorrow today. is to take care of my basic responsibilities. Back to David's experience. What was life like for him out there in the Judean hillside? Well, you could imagine it was a little slower paced, uh, probably lonely, probably full of isolation. He probably had some time to think, maybe too much time to think. Some of you may have had too much time to think lately. I know, I've been there. But it also was dangerous, and danger leads to some anxiety too. And we have felt that as well. When David talks later to Saul, he recounts about this danger. 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35, he, he talks about some things he faced. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Here's a picture from the Advent storybook that we've been reading with our children, of of David facing off with one of these creatures that would have been causing him a little bit of anxiety uh, and danger in his wilderness experience. And I like this picture. I really like this picture because David's not fighting Goliath. Most of the pictures I see, he is. And the very fact that he is not fighting Goliath here speaks volumes. It speaks to God's preparation through David's isolation. Because it's from fighting the bear and the lion, the smaller things, that David learns God's faithfulness when the bigger things or bigger people, you know, the nine-footed guy, nine-foot, nine-inches Goliath, when he's coming in the future. And this is the key way God works in us, too. He gives us these smaller faithfulness checks, little ones along the way, typically getting bigger as we show ourselves more faithful. And it's important that David stands up to the bear and the lion. And he takes on that smaller challenge that's more behind the scenes. There's, if you can think about it, I'm not going to get into it, but if you think about it and you know the story, David later fights Goliath and, and there's people all on the hillside. They're watching. He has an audience. He also has a big reward that could come his way if he beats him. But there's not that here in the wilderness. There, there's not an audience. This is. This is a hidden faithfulness test, and this is what you and I will get most in life. The behind the scenes thing that literally no one's watching. It's like us and God, and will we still do the, will, will we still do the right thing right by God and right by others? And those little tests are hard, I admit but they pave the way into a better future they please god and there's blessing in that our private faithfulness matters deeply to god fighting the bear and the lion that matters a lot of young people myself included we think we're only going to really come to battle when when it's a goliath when there's fame and fortune on the other side a bear No, what if I get scratched? I could get killed. It's not worth the sacrifice. David doesn't do that. He's faithful, even in in private. So what was God doing with David in his wilderness? It's clear that he was testing David. It's also clear that he was instilling confidence in David for the battle to come. Reflecting on beating the lion, beating the bear. That's what gives David the confidence For the future against the Philistine. And God was forming David into the future shepherd king. He had to learn how to be a shepherd of animals to care and tend for them before he could help lead the people. And more than that, in the wilderness, God was forming David's heart, forming a heart that would then seek after God's heart. Flashing back into 1 Samuel 13, when When God is saying, I'm going to replace Saul, he says this. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Just three chapters later, that man who the Lord has sought out becomes very clear. It was David. So God's looking for a man who's after his own heart, after God's heart. And he lands on David. Would he land on you? Would he land on me? I would like to say yes. I would like to say yes. What made David the candidate for kingship? was God's formation of his heart in the wilderness. What about you? Can you identify any wilderness experiences that God has walked you through? Mine was reflecting on 2014, but there have been some this year. There will be bigger ones and there will be smaller ones. But in the lives of every leader and every Christian leads in some way, right? The scriptures say that you are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're a light that is lit and not going to cover you up. God's going to shine through you. Kids, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine? Come on. That's right. Every Christian leads in some way. You reflect God's goodness to the world. As a result, God will probably bring you through a personal wilderness experience for many. Full of lions, full of bears, full of omis. You like that? In his book, The Making of the Leader, Dr. Robert Clinton points out that all leaders are formed through certain phases. The first one, it involves just like the natural giftings you have, your family of origin, the experiences good and bad you have kind of in your youth. God uses those things to form you. We know this. Phase two, after one decides to follow Christ and make him the boss of their life, involves a little more informal training, ministry experience, And sometimes going to Bible school or just God starts to test the leader a bit. Phase three is where you mature in your ministry, mature as a leader. And God's work primarily is within the leader in this time, going deep inside so that later you can produce. This is seen in the life of David during his shepherding years. In this isolation that he experienced. Something we've all been dealing with these past nine months. Isolation often occurs during this training phase as a hurdle we must work through. And it helps form us in the image of Christ. Dr. Clinton says that an isolation process item, which a process item is something that God puts into our life, help us process and become more like him. The isolation process item is when the leader is set aside due to crisis, illness, persecution, or or discipline, self-choice, or providential circumstances. So for us, this could be government-mandated lockdowns. This could be COVID, the flu, physical injuries. This could be our choice to self-isolate. This could be something God has presented for you just to walk in in this season. If you look in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the water and it says the spirit drives him into the wilderness. Matthew doesn't use as aggressive language, but the Mark version really stuck out to me years and years ago. Of Like Jesus, like he didn't have this choice almost. The Holy Spirit got him and said, all right, we're going to it now. And Jesus is taken for 40 days into the wilderness to be tempted and to hunger Sometimes your isolation process items could be that providential leading. Now, if you're listening to this and you are young in the room, this still applies to you. God has a pattern of choosing even little kids to change the world. Young kings are elected in the Old Testament. Babies are set aside to make a big difference. Moses, John the Baptist. Hey, Jesus, what did we just celebrate a few days ago? So I want to show you a picture of a little guy who I believe has already walked through at least one wilderness himself. This is uh, Samuel Wilder Collins, my third born, my second boy. Here he is years ago. And if you cannot tell, he's got a little funky head there. Love you, bud. If you're watching this, he's got a little funky head there. Uh, he was born. He was born, and he was diagnosed pretty quickly with uh, craniosynostosis, which is just that the the plates on the top of his head it hardened together too early. It's supposed to happen about two years of age. You know, it happened in the womb, and as a result, there's a potential hindering of his brain development, not having enough space to grow. So on September 11th, actually. Uh, 2017, I remember Elise coming home and telling me he's got to have surgery. And I said, "Well, I thought he was going to need a helmet." She said, "No, they need to cut his head open." And I just looked at her and I said, "Absolutely not. Why in the world would any dad let somebody cut their little baby's head open like that? There's no way." And so as Elise does, she was just, you know, just not say anything, nodding. She knows I need time to process. And I'm a verbal processor. So on December 6th, that same year, our little four-month-old boy, Wilder, entered into his own wilderness. Reconstructive skull surgery. This is the last picture that I got of him before they whisked him away. And I love how he is just grinning ear to ear, having no idea what is about to happen. But would it help him to cry and scream and be really stressed out? No. He just has this little peace, baby happiness about him. A slight naivety. But a trust, too, that it's going to be okay. And I look at this picture even now, I didn't plan on saying this, but as I look at this now and I see how um, just confident and hopeful this little guy is, I think, I need to live like that. Even if there's reconstructive skull surgery the next 10 minutes from now, I can live with this confident hope. Because who's in charge? Who's in charge of my body? Of the blood that will be spilt during surgery? Keeping my heart pumping. Who's really in charge of that? God is. And we know that. It's harder to be put in a situation like this where you really have to trust. You really have to trust if God's going to come through or not. And God didn't have to, but as the neurosurgeon and plastic surgeon team cut his head open and and literally broke his skull and then fused, and then, well, sewed him back up, uh, he came out looking rough, but he made it. Here's a picture of him. Kind of looking like a Teletubby with a wrap on his head. Um, Not too happy, actually. This was right after surgery, so in a matter of like 30 minutes from now, his eyes would be so swollen that he wouldn't be able to open his eyes for about two days. So I got got him right away. This is like his first time he opened his eyes after surgery. And now he has scars and stories to share of God's faithfulness to him in his own wilderness experience. Here he is, a Joshua tree, just... This past Veterans Day. But what about you? What sort of scars has God given you? That could be a story to share about his goodness. Maybe those are still forming right now. Maybe they haven't necessarily healed. They're open wounds. I know plenty who are still dealing with that. And I don't pretend to have fixed or prescribed answers to fix those, those hurts that are in the middle of the wilderness. But I know that God is with you. Are there any, old lessons, any lessons that you can learn through your own wanderings right now? Is there a new perspective that God has been stirring up in your heart, maybe over the past nine months? Has your sense of identity been challenged? Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've had to make drastic changes to how you live your life. That's enough to shift your identity a little bit. What about convictions? Are there new convictions that God has given you from the word? Things that, things that you knew mattered before maybe 2020 took off, right? That now you know really matter. For me, the verse is in Hebrews 10. I believe it's 24. Don't quote me on that. But it talks about the need for meeting together. And God's people are are commanded, you know, don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And I didn't think, I mean, I, I saw that in the Bible, but I didn't think it was as important as during the season. That conviction has changed for me um, through how helpful it has been to be connected, whether that was a phone fellowship or a phone call or going on a walk with someone at church to get perspective in a timely manner. I'm very grateful for that. And that conviction has risen more for me in this season. Are there any lessons God is trying to teach you right now? Thousands of great leaders have gone before us, great people have gone before us and experienced their own wilderness. Wanderings, biblical characters, even leaders here at CIV. So would you consider some next steps as we close? Number one, as I mentioned earlier, is to commit to faithfully fulfill your responsibilities amidst any wilderness that you walk through. And you know what those are. And for me, those take up most of my day. The responsibilities that are pretty clear. To where at the end of the day, I don't have a ton of space to use on this other stuff that might be stirring me up. Next step, number two, reflect on what God has been teaching you over 2020 and share it with someone. Elise and I went on a date recently and and these were the questions I asked. Hey, babe, since March, what's something, what's something you've learned about God? What's something you've learned about yourself? And what's something you've learned about other people? Consider answering those questions and then share it with somebody and ask them the same. It has been a different year, but there could be some great reflections that come from that and open and honest conversation with loved ones. And step three might be a little different to you. Um, Feel free not to do it. It's something I've done uh, periodically as the new year has come in. Um, Consider fasting just for one meal on New Year's Day could be breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Um, could be all three. It's up to you. But consider setting aside a meal, not eating, maybe just drinking water during that meal. So um, pray about 2021. And to commit that to God no matter what. It's kind of like a, an even-if prayer. Even if the worst happens as the clock turns and there's a new year. Whatever that worst is for you, it's different for everybody. But even if I will remain faithful to you, God, you will be who I go after. You are what matters most. I give you this year. Consider, consider that. Hey, I really do thank you for, for the opportunity here to talk with you. And I pray that God will bless you. In this new year, and no matter what we walk through, um, that he will He will be with us. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I love you so much. And I am very grateful that as David wrote in the Psalms, that when we walk through the shadow of the valley of death, um, that you are with us. You are the rod and the staff that comfort us, that protect us, that continues to guide us, Lord. I'm humbled by the pain that I know. Many even listening to this have gone through. But I know, God, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will always uphold us with your righteous right hand, God. And so we praise you for the future. We glory in your name and the great things you will do in the new year and the good things that you have done even in this year. God, we commit our ways to you and we love you so much. And it's your name we pray, Christ. Amen.